Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God for the world. Paul does a number on us here in Ephesians, and we've been in Ephesians several weeks. And as if you weren't here with us last week, I talked about the passage from Ephesians 4 that we got into at our time of free-for-all, which was a discussion on Tuesday before the worship on Sunday, was so energized and so much commentary that I said, we're going to have to break this up. And so we only got to the very first little piece last week about putting away falsehood and speaking our truth to our neighbor. And so we talked about what truth-telling means and how, and most importantly, the overarching theme is how Paul is laying out for us what it means to live in the beloved community. And I love that frame that he uses, though he doesn't use the word beloved community, he talks about us being beloved children. And so what does it mean to be the beloved together? It's, it's one thing to talk about that as individuals. It's a whole other thing when we start rubbing up next to each other. So I want us to recap just a little bit about what the common values are for those of us who live in this beloved community. They are humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and finally, and maybe the hardest, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Of course, this is in Ephesians 4 at the beginning, where he frames what it looks like to be in the beloved community. And then he gets real specific for us. And as I mentioned, this is not a grand to-do list, but it's what we get to do, as Michael said, out of the fullness of our heart, out of the love that already lives in us. And so Paul says it this way, he put away falsehood, let us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. And here comes the anger part. Be angry, but sin not, or do not sin. See, it would have just, well, we'll get there. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. And then a little bit, a few verses down in 31, he picks up this. He says, put away from you. All bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another. 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God, in Christ, forgave you. That, that requires a few breaths. So let, let's look at the anger piece. I want us to talk about, because in part, the, these kind of nitty-gritty pieces of our, our faith and of, of us rubbing up next to each other um, is something we don't usually speak to. You know, it's really easy to stay up in sort of the upper echelons of theology, and it's a lot harder to get down. We're living and sharing life together and the friction that occurs. So let's talk about anger. There's enough of anger to go around these days. Have you noticed that? <laughs> or is it just me? There's societal anger, political anger, family anger, individual anger. I feel like anger is like spewing out like volcanic activity. And for the most part, it's deadly wherever it lands. <coughs> So you've sort of got this just lava just landing everywhere, and people are sort of defenseless and spewing it back. One pastor I thought really stated this well. He said, it's not even that we just have a bucket of anger. Like, here's our anger bucket, and we just need to sort of unload it, and then we'd be free of anger. He said, no, you don't have anger like a bucket. He said, you are like an anger factory machine. There's like this internal factory that just keeps regenerating anger. And it doesn't get spilled off like a bucket. And so I think that was something to pay attention to. We, in fact, I think a lot of us don't even know what we're angry about. And here's the interesting thing. In every sort of uh, generation, it seems like something new is used to sort of promote and persuade people to, to do certain things, to take action. And they tap into our most vulnerable places, right? You know, advertisement does this, of course, at its best and worst. And I find it interesting... If you look at culture at large, there's, there's sort of three things I see a lot of. I see, which is funny that we did the walks, you see a lot of zombie. Do you not notice zombie movies, zombie TV, zombie culture, zombie runs? There's something tapping in that says we are dead. We feel dead inside. This is pretty evident. That there's this sense of deadness. And so the culture says there's two motivating factors. Sexuality, which perhaps is not working at its most effective state. And so let's tap into something else that makes people feel alive. And what is that? Anger. And so we become these little anger factories. And people promulgate anger, generate it, and engender it in others until we sort of feast on one another. We had a great discussion about this at Free For All, and I want to share a few of the tidbits, and then I'm going to open this up for conversation, which we do on occasion. One person, Michelle, actually, I think it was, said that anger is actually a secondary emotion. 
And that the primary emotion that anger comes out of is fear. Fear. And really, as psychologists say, there's two primary emotions. Fear and love. And that all things are motivated from those two places. Fear or love. And what happens, and when those fears get tapped into, as Kathleen said about survival and fight or flight, or as Wayne said, when our ego gets threatened, out of that fear we become angry. It gets directed toward anger because the fear is too scary to stay into. There's three responses to anger that that I see. One is to repress it. Be a good little girl. Be a good little boy. And so anger gets so repressed that you deny it and don't even realize it's there. And I don't have time to go into all these, but I think some of us channel one way or the other. A second one is suppress it. Stuff it. You know it's there, but you, re- you suppress it, and it comes out in what I consider the most dangerous form, which is passive-aggressive behavior. And we see a lot of that passive-aggressive behavior coming out of the suppressing, the stuffing. And then finally, the third way, so we've got repress, suppress, and express. And we love... Some of us love the expression of it, and yet at Free For All, we talked about the problem is most of us don't have healthy ways of expressing it, because clearly Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. So there is definitely an affirmation that anger is okay. That's an emotion that we have, but it's how we express it. And so I want us to take some time to to think through how we are called as a community, the beloved community, to express anger in healthy ways. Just a side about this, and I shared this at Free For All, that one of the things that's interesting, as most of you know, of course, that when we act out and violence begets violence, anger begets more violence, or anger, And one of the things, as a parent, I learned this, trying to learn if I should spank or do time out. And sort of a comical moment, and and I'm not saying you shouldn't spank, but in my experience, I remember (laughs) Sophie hit me. So I hit her back as a spanking, and I said, don't hit. (laughs) At which point she looked at me like, something's not right about that. (laughs) And And I thought, yeah. That one. So for her, and we talked about this, uh, time out is a much worse punishment, getting separated from socialization. Of course, this is not a direct correlation in terms of disciplining ourselves or um, our culture and those kind of things. But there is an analogy to the way that violence begets more violence. And part of our calling as the beloved community is to speak life and love into the world. So how do we do that? How do we model not being reactive, not being so fueled by anger like everybody else? What's to mark us as the people of the way of the Christ?
who didn't choose violence, but actually gave himself up to the cross. So it's incredible. Paul tells us to do this, and here's my question. I'm going to speak this verse, and I'm going to ask you a question. He says, put away from you all bitterness, wrath, and anger, wrangling and slander, together with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. How, so Paul clearly says the way you do this is you put it away. <laughs> or another translation of that is strip it off. Put it away. So my question to you, and this is great that we can do this sort of in a community because we're all going to have different ideas about this, is how do you put away bitterness and wrath, anger? How do you put that away in unhealthy ways and express it in healthy ways, being kind-hearted and tender and forgiving? So let's help each other. How do you do this? Hard work, okay? And we're going to... Um, everybody have an opportunity. You identify the problem and then start discussing solutions instead of battering each other. Thank you. I can just speak up. I think uh, well, some people might like to know what passive-aggressive behavior is. Okay. Um, sometimes when we mask our anger and maybe, or maybe I should ask, would somebody like to give an example? That may be the best way. You've never been to Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steve, explain. That's awesome. Express themselves. I can hold it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. I can hold it just fine. Ah, passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and like so people can express their anger yeah. in ways that are nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Charles and then Michelle up here is going to help with that. Okay. In, in, in the South, we, we say, yes, I'll do that for you. I'll help you do that. And we never show up. Mm. Okay. Michelle and then Ann back there. I can, I can speak louder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you make me angry. Um, Rod and I came from Texas where you just sort of say what you think. Um, but when we came to South Carolina, we started hearing... Bless your heart. Ah. Ann Smith back there. I don't think we've gotten to it yet. No. We're. questioning your voice sometimes. Well, I see it quite a bit. I do work um, in a, an office that has a lot of ladies. And we're trying to create a, a community, if you will, a culture of a positive culture um, at our office and not a culture of backstabbing, um, saying one thing to someone's face and then something else behind their back and treating them differently because of the way you feel about them. Um, I think those are two things that are at the heart of being passive aggressive, that you drag your feet for one when you would work hard for another. Um, and then the best example I have is my 
my father spoke of his mother-in-law in a respectful way. She's no longer here. He is. That um, said Agnes had a way of saying yes, but it actually meant blank no. <laughs> and you knew it when she said it, but she would never say the, the second. So that's passive aggressive. But what I wanted to say was that I think the best way um, to prevent, we weren't really talking about passive aggressive in the beginning, but to prevent sinning when you're angry is to communicate and not just your anger but really where the other person's coming from if you're speaking of a one-on-one -on -one relationship to allow <coughs> that communication. Okay. Ashley and then Ann and then we're going to move a little bit. Well I think it originates from a place of fear of like not being accepted if you speak your opinion or, or just openly say, say what you want or what you think. Um, and so, so then you, you, stu you stuff that down or put that away and do what you think is the best to conform, but then resent other people for that or resent yourself, and then it comes out. It kind of seeps out in other ways. Anne Green. Back to that original, putting away the bitterness and wrath and anger. I think an awful lot of it has to do with our buying in too strongly to polarize positions. Where, where, wherever we are, whether it's theological or political or whatever, not much that's really important dwells on the ends of the spectrum. And I think we need to look to the other place on the spectrum than where we see ourselves and find the, the value or the motivation or whatever that is that can draw us more toward the, the middle. The commonalities. Okay. Bill, and then Bill here and then Elizabeth, and then we're going to move. I also think the problem is that society has a set of expectations. And what we found a couple of months ago in South Carolina is the expectations were basically knocked to the ground mm. when people who were attacked basically came out and forgave immediately and talked about love, did not talk about hate, and all of a sudden society didn't know what to do. <laughs> and in fact, we're back today, given things that have happened the last few weeks, where we're back to this problem that we have with aggression and violence and anger now has forgotten what just happened a month and a half ago. Tired. That was a difference in the people involved. Tired said, uh, God can be found in the question. And I carried that quote around for 12 years in, on my desk and all of a sudden one day, <laughs> I really got what it meant that in this that we're doing, struggling together for something that's so negative, God is blooming forth in all of this. And, and uh, so I guess what I'm saying, how to deal with anger, if you can forgive yourself first, you can forgive others and then be honest as you talk to each other. Mm, that's great. Okay, I think there's a real key and, and connection, like you said, between the honesty piece about can we be honest and name our own anger 
our own ways that we trespass ourselves and forgive ourselves before we can forgive others. I want to I want to speak to thank you. Thank you all of you for those responses. I think it's important um, as as we move into sort of this second piece that Paul offers in in Ephesians 5 that the way that we move from this unhealthy expression of anger has to come back to worship. Notice he goes off on singing praise and hymns and singing songs, making melodies. There's a connection here. There's a direct correlation between worship and tempering our anger. And I want to say it this way. You hear me say this all the time. In fact, (laughs) this is sort of like my mantra. You hear me say it on Ash Wednesday when I impose ashes. To remember what? Remember who and whose you are. I think the very key to being not consumed with anger is to know whose you are. Let me explain that. In fact, I'm going to do it with a quote Kathleen said, free for all. She says, if we are grounded in God... And know how loved we are. We don't experience as much the depth of the anger, or at least it passes through easier. It lasts a shorter time. In fact, Michelle then said, How internalized you receive God's love affects your reactivity. How internalized you receive God's love affects your reactivity. Wayne said it this way, if you know you are loved by God, your cup is filled to overflowing. You don't sense that scarcity, that deficit, which really fuels a lot of anger. I don't have enough. They're taking what's mine. Whatever. But when you are focused on the love and lavish grace of God... The sense is that there is enough love to spill out over. I love what Paul said. He said, be imitators of God. He didn't say just worship God, thank God, praise God. He said, be imitators of God. And then he said, as beloved children, know who you are. You are my beloved and live in love. Live in love as Christ loved you. And it's only there. If you understand the fullness of God's love for you, when that fills up, when the love is known, then you're able to live in love to others. And Herb says, after that, that's when the songs emerge. That's when, as Chapter 5 says, be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody the Lord and giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of the Lord. There's a direct correlation between being filled, knowing your identity is loved, and reducing the way that we react in our anger that we lash out 
in our anger. And it's this little piece, as Herb, if he was going to title today's sermon, he was going to call it Invitation to Intoxication. And yeah, a lot of people around the table were really up for that. I don't know what that means. And we talked about this, you know, debauchery piece here. But my question to you, it's clear, as, as he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Something that's filling us, this Holy Spirit, is having a direct relationship on how we treat ourselves and others. So my question for the beloved community, this is the last question, so some of you had some lingering things, is what would it mean for us all to be intoxicated or filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, James? One uh, different angle on that. Okay. And that is, can we not find a way to use the power that is there in anger, direct it and focus it towards whatever narrow focus it needs to be so that, for example... Instead of having the volcanic lava that spews fire all over the whole mountainside, you have uh, a spark plug that powers an engine to Mm. make something that is still has the same fire, but it produces something that's helpful. Many of the folks in the social reform movements, whether it was civil rights, abolition, the LGBT, Mm -hmm. they they came at it because of their anger. Mm -hmm. They had to find a way to focus their anger. And if their anger was focused towards making a social change versus attacking the people who held the opposite opinion, that's when things got done. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, Bill? It's interesting, in the Bible, they talk about when the other people in Jerusalem saw what happened to the apostles and the followers, they said those people look like they've, they're drunk on wine. The new wine made those people look different and made them act different, and they appear different. Now, if you look at our society, when we leave this building today and we go downtown in Hendersonville, will anybody know that we are Christians and are filled with new wine? Mm-hmm. Artie, thank you. Good question. I think that, that we're missing a little piece, and that is that we can't do this. So the, the initial piece has to be the, the realization that, God, I can't do this, but you can because of who I am and whose I am. And when we acknowledge that to begin with, then God can come in and make the changes that we can't make because we're not capable. It reminds me of the Richard Rohr quote that was in the bulletin some time ago about kingdom people being both grounded and spacious. And I think if we have a sense of that groundedness as beloved, then the spaciousness, there's room for all that. And fear is a a crushing thing to experience, so... If we have that space, then it doesn't need to crush us. Hmm, that's good. In fact, um, 
Yabur goes on to talk about, yes, we will have these emotions, he said, but as we grow, as our theme has been, as we grow up as a people of God, they won't hold the same force in our life. They don't have as strong a driver in our life. And I think that's a huge, a huge piece of it is, yes, we're going to feel these things. But as we grow and transform into the likeness of Christ, being filled with the Spirit, those drivers become minimal. The ones that are lashing out and out of fear. Because the fear is displaced by a knowledge of who and whose we are. That's so huge. In fact, uh, I want to close by talking about sort of how to, how to do this practically and, and talking about how worship, because Paul spends the first three chapters talking about what God has done for us. Worship reorients us. Reorients us. It takes us from ourselves and gets us out of ourselves and reorients us toward God the source of our praise and being and love. And so if we stay in that spacious place of praise and thanksgiving, as Paul ends this piece, notice what happens. The the idolatries of our heart, the places of blame, that which, by the way, just keeps us from looking at our own selves becomes about the one who loved us unconditionally, forgave us with no questions asked, how can we not do the same for one another? And that's where it gets us. We're all sinners. You know, but of course we love to sort of name which sins are worse, right? That's sort of what we do. But when we begin worshiping and praising, it gets us outside of ourselves, our small self, as I talked about, the ego-driven self, the fear-filled self. And our hearts enlarge in that spacious place, and there's room for everyone at the table. God set the banquet feast for me. Man, I guess God set it for everybody then. It's that reorientation we need in worship. And why Paul says we need to sing the songs. So I'm going to leave you with four things practically as we think this week. When you're angry and it gets out of control, not talking about the good kind of anger, which I love, James, your piece on the fire because a great representation of God is the fire of God and the passionate and angry God at times. So yes, anger can be good. But when it's going out of hand and you know it's coming out of this fearful place and you're wanting to lash out on someone else, little road rage emerges, I don't know. I don't know where your anger comes out. I want you to try singing. Try singing at that moment. Whatever, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. We sing that a lot in our car. Or if you're happy and you know it, which half the time I'm not happy, but I'm clapping, and it does something to you. You feel like a fool. That's great. 
So when you're angry, try singing. Secondly, Paul insists, I, I just find it, he's crazy, but he says, give thanks to God at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to cultivate, you've heard this, the attitude of, of gratitude. That displaces anger in this very unusual and powerful way. When we have a heart that is grateful. Haven't you noticed people who just seem to be enchanted by everything? Ah, yeah, yeah. we call them delusional. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not in touch with the reality, right? They, they don't know the burdens. But there's something, uh, Dostoevsky has that book, The Idiot, who's just this great sort of idyllic representation of coming at life as seeing life as gift. Seeing life as gift. And when you see life as gift, it really does redirect anger. It redirects anger. So I ask you to cultivate gratitude by one thing. I've told you my favorite thing is to, to make a list of things. That I'm, I'm a list maker. So I'm, I channel my list making energies into things I'm thankful for. So try that. Things that you're thankful for. Three, and this is huge, pray for your enemies. Jesus said it. We have to do it. And I would contend that our soul crumbles the longer we hold the hatred toward our enemies. As you know, it does more damage to us than the other. So pray for your enemies. And finally, be around thankful people. Choose to be around people who are enchanted, who are thankful, who lift and create spacious places for one another, and grow in their grace as they model what it means to live in love. Amen.